theyeshiva.net. There are lovely reasons why we blow the Shaifa on Rosh Hashanah. But certainly, one of the most potent and powerful reasons was given by the Rambam in Hilchis Truva, Peri Gimel, where he says that Ki Shaifa Hashanah, Afal Remez Yeshboi. There is something, a unique symbolic significance in Tkiyah Shoifer. It serves as a physical and spiritual alarm clock. Now, a wise man once said, no man likes his alarm clock. It's much easier to remain asleep. But to have an alarm clock is important to wake you up. So the Rambam says that the Shoifer serves as a cosmic, collective, and individual divine alarm clock. Trying to wake me up, trying to wake us up. And I have to tell you something, you know, waking up comes in many forms and fashions. And yesterday, I had, I think, an hour, hour and a half conversation with Reb Nisanel, the executive director of Yad Lachem in the United States of America. And it really was a shoifer for me. It woke me up. Because I knew about Yad Lachem. I knew, it's, I knew the founder, Reb Sholem Ber Lipschitz, many years, who was one of the great askanim of, uh, for Yiddishkeit in Israel in the 40s and in the 50s, when there were some very severe decisions to make and the the very future imbalance of the Yishuv in Eretz Yisrael was being decided. But I did not know the proportions and I did not realize the numbers and the statistics. And I, I just recently f- found out, I thought it's a few dozen, I'm, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed, I should have known better, but I did not realize that there are numbers of approximately 20, 30,000 women, Jewish women, who are involved in serious relationships with Muslims. Some put it a little less, some put it at a little more. Inside of Israel and outside of Israel in Muslim countries, including in the liberated territories of 1967, including in Gaza, including in Yehuda, Shamron, West Bank. And uh, we're not dealing with a few dozen, even a few dozen. Nefesh Achas, Mishos, and Eilam Male. We're not even dealing with hundreds. You're dealing with tens of thousands. And this was, I have to tell you, this was an alarm clock. This was a shayfer for me. It was astounding. How does such a thing happen? It's not like we have billions of Jews. We have 14 million Jews. Thousands and thousands of young girls and young women are involved in these types of relationships, which ultimately, in most cases, become violent, abusive, horrific, and extremely oppressive. As Ibn Sanal just described, they're lured in, most of these girls come from families where they were not given, I guess, the confidence that they need, or maybe other issues. And he told me, frighteningly, that close to 40% come from religious families. Not 10%, not 5%. Close to 40% of these thousands and thousands of women come from what you would call Torah, observant, mishpachot datiyot, mishpachot charediyot, religious families, and yet these girls... These young women who have a void are lured in by the charm, the looks, the charisma, whatever it is, of these Arab boys who ultimately bring them to their villages, their towns, their cities, their countries. And then at some point, for many of them, it's too late. Not for all of them. I'm sure some of them get out early. Some of them get the help of their family. But some of them, ultimately, it's too late. And as you know, women are not treated with the greatest dignity in many of these Muslim communities, sometimes there's a child involved. If they run away, the husband may threaten to kill them or the child and the children. There are beatings. There is tremendous oppression. 
intimacy is completely on the terms of the husband. I don't have to get involved. I don't have to describe this. Those who are familiar with some of the culture and some of the laws know exactly what I'm talking about. And Yad La'achim sometimes goes into enemy lines, literally enemy lines to rescue these girls and women. Nassanel just sent me a story. I don't know if it's going to be the video of a boy and a girl who came from two families. Mother was Jewish. They married Muslims. There were many children. They managed to escape and flee. And a boy and a girl met and they got married to each other just recently. Kedas Moshev Yisrael. It's, you know, incredible. So this is going on literally uh, on our watch, you know, under, as they say, under our nose, in front of our eyes, in the thousands and thousands of Tinoikis, and not only Tinoikis, Shanishbul Akim in the most literal sense. And it really behooves me to salute, it behooves all of us to salute Yad La'achim and all of its activists, its volunteers, its social workers, its former IDF and Shin Bet and Mossad staff who are the only ones who can really infiltrate and do sometimes the work that is better not to speak about in order to save people in very, very delicate and sensitive situations because if you make one error, it can cost a life, it can cost many a life, and it can result in absolute disaster. So this is uh, extraordinary, extraordinary work of Atzalas Nefashas, physically, spiritually, in the most incredible and powerful way. What I want to address with you this evening, though, is going back to some of the causes. I was researching and investigating. What would be the reason for this? Why would a girl be lured into such traps? Now, I cannot say I'm certainly uh, not the person equipped to be able to give a decisive and all-encompassing answer, and I'm sure it's never black and white. There's never one answer. There may be elements that are considered nature. There may be elements considered nurture. There may be elements that are a combination. There could be so many different different factors. The journey of Neshamas is certainly very, very mysterious. But there are lessons, I think, that each of us can glean in our own lives, whether we live in the United States, whether we live in Israel, whichever community we come from, any demographic, any sector. I think these are universal lessons that each of us can certainly internalize, especially during these Yemei Ratzin, these incredible days of reckoning, of introspection, of Cheshben HaNefesh, of Tshuva, the Yemei HaRachamim, Yemei HaRachamim V'Haratzin. The first thing we have to establish, as Rabbi Nassanel told me yesterday, he says, it's always more likely to happen with girls who come from families in which they don't feel a deep and solid emotional connection. And this remains the first and maybe most important lesson. It behooves every single one of us especially in our generation, especially in our corona age, to spend time and dedicate your mental space to build strong emotional bonds with each of our children. And emotional bonds with our children doesn't mean we do it on our terms. It means we do it in their terms. You want your homes to be places of love, of joy, places of connection, places where all the children can feel this is where I belong, this is where I can be open. This is where there are great relationships. This is an exciting place and it's a non-judgmental place. It's a place that combines, of course, discipline. A home needs to have discipline. But it's filled with connection, with connectivity. Whether it's the Shabbos table, whether it's spending time every evening at a dinner table, it's the schmoozing and the jokes and the conversations and the singing and the games and the sports and the running around and the learning and the davening and the connecting and the arguing and the debating and the, all elements of family life, including those parts that are not always exciting, but they're all part of family life, you know, the crying, but it's all part of bonding. 
we must remain present. Mothers and of course fathers. Sometimes fathers who are out to work or out to learn and we are often a little detached. Today is a chayv kaddish. We can't afford it. We literally cannot afford it anymore. There are so many challenges. There are so many nisyayinists. There's so much anxiety, so much stress. Mibifnim umibachutz. Mibayis umibachutz. Loiseitsu ish mipesach beisei ad boiker is what Moshe told the Jews right before Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. It's what the governments are telling us now in the Corona age. Loiseitsu ish mipesach beisei ad boiker. And when you remain in beisei, make sure that there is a beautiful and extraordinary ambience and atmosphere of bonding. Your children don't always have to agree with you. They don't always have to be pleased with you. Sometimes our kids get angry with us. But they always have to know that you understand them. That's key. They have to know that there's a bond. You get them. You're not just sitting on this throne on an ivory tower and giving out rules. You get them. You understand them. You empathize with them. And you're here for them. You'll support them. You may challenge them. But you're always, always here for them. The bond is unconditional and unquestionable. I've shared this story before, but it's really very apropos. There was a very famous Jewish actor, quite popular. His name was Zero Mostel. Zero Mostel won quite many awards, and he was a Hollywood celebrity. He passed away, I think, in the 1980s. And, you know, I wondered, Zero Mostel, who gives their son a name Zero? You know what Zero means? Ephes. Null in Yiddish. Zero? Who calls their son Zero? Anyway, someone shared with me the story. I was speaking in Lakewood, and I spoke about this, and Ayit came over to me. It was, uh, it was a big dinner in Lakewood. And Ayit came over to me, and he said he was Zero Mostel's shachin. He was his neighbor in the Bronx. This was a Frum family, eight children. His name wasn't Zero. His name was Shmuel Yoyal. Shmuel Yoyal. Okay, this was his name. Shmuel Yoyal is not a Hollywood name exactly. So a family of eight. Frum Ayidin, Erlich Ayidin, Mitzvah. There was a person in his family, it's not Negea to mention who, who would tell this boy, Shmil Yoyal, I'll say in Yiddish, Shmil Yoyal, Du bist a garnished. Du bist alamo bleiben a garnished. You're a nothing, you're a zero, you're always going to remain a nothing. He left Yiddishkeit. He became a very successful actor. I guess for Hollywood, the name Shmil Yoyal wasn't very uh, catchy. So he needed to choose a new secular name. And what's the name he chose? Zero. He said... Because this member in my family predicted that I'm going to be a zero. I wanted to make sure to give him nachas and to give him satisfaction and became a zero. And I learned from this, if you are not going to make your child feel great, somebody else will. Somebody else will make sure that he or she does not feel like a zero. But it may not be in the way you want. And that's the story of all these girls. There was a Yid who I knew very well. I, I can't say I knew him well. He was much older than me, but I knew him. His name was Reberkechein. Reberkechein was one of those unique Jews who came from Russia. He sat in the Stalin's Gulag. He was prison in Russia for many years because of his counter-revolutionary work against the communists to spread Yiddishkeit. He was a Chabatske Chassid from the famous Chein family. The Rabbonim of Chernigov in the Ukraine, the Rabdovitz Vichein, the Peretzchein, they have a shalshalas back to the Bali HaToysvis, Rabbeinu Chein. His name was Reberke Chein, Rebdoiv Ber Chein. He came out of the communist purgatory in the 1960s, I think 63 or six, I think 63, and he settled in Israel. And he became Amalamid, he was a teacher. I, I knew him, Echte Yirishamayim, you know, from the genre that is very hard to find, where God is more real than anything else. 
full of Avas Hashem, full of Avas full of Avas Yisrael. And this is a story that happened in his classroom. It's a story, I shared this actually, last year's Slichus, without the name, I shared the story. And after I tell you this story, I'm going to tell you what happened after I shared this story. There was a kid in the classroom who stole, he stole a watch from a chaver. He wanted a watch and he stole it. And the friend told Rebecca that somebody stole the watch. Rebecca tried to find out who and give back the gnave, but nobody wanted to admit. The kid didn't want to embarrass himself. So what happened was, he said, listen, we're going to have to lock the door and every child is going to empty his pockets. So we'll figure out where the watch is and we'll return it to its owner. I have no other choice. But, Rebecca said, every child needs to close his eyes. I don't want anybody seeing anything that's happening in anybody else's pocket. Everybody closes their eyes. Nobody sees. Empty out your pockets. And we'll get the watch and we'll give it back. And that's what happened. The child emptied his pocket. The watch fell. Rebecca retrieved it. Ultimately gave it back to its owner. And that boy was so touched that he was not embarrassed in public. Because Rebecca would not allow anybody else to see who the Ganav was. And he came over to the Berkechein many years later. And he said that he himself was a Malamad, he was a teacher. He was inspired by the Berke to be a teacher. He said, how did I inspire you? And he told him the story. The Berkechein said, wow, very interesting. He said, you don't remember the Maisi? You don't remember me? I was the Ganav. You, you must have remembered such a story. And the Berke said, I, don't, I wouldn't remember. He says, why not? He says, my eyes were also closed. My eyes were also closed. So I never knew who took it. I didn't want to know. I just wanted it returned. I shared this story last year before Slichus. There was then candidates running to be the president to be the, for the new leader, the presidency of Brazil. So the, a future president saw, saw the clip. Somebody sent it to him. So he had it translated into Portuguese, the clip. with my video Portuguese. And he sent it out to 25 million people on WhatsApp. I started to get from Brazil message after message after message after message. I couldn't read the Portuguese, but it was my video speaking. And he wrote, he, in the beginning, he says, we have to learn from the Jews about the gift of education. We have to learn from the Jews how to educate our children. He understood that Yiddishkeit inculcated into the psyche of Kalal Yisrael that the greatest gift in the world is how we treat our children. Let me ask you a question. The Gemara says at the end of Megillah, that the Kriya Satayra of every Yom Tov is Me'inyanu Shal Yom. It's the theme of the holiday. Pesach. We read the parish of Pesach, the story of Pesach. Chanukah. We read Chanukah Samishkan. Purim. We read Vayavay Amalek. The same is true with Shavu Asukas. Every Yom Tov, Yom Kippur. You read Parshat Hachare Mois, the parish of Yom Kippur. There's an exception, Rosh Hashanah. If you had to choose the Kriya Satayra of Rosh Hashanah, what would you choose? What would you choose? Tell me. What happened in Rishon? What happened in Rish Hashanah? Zayim Tchilus Masach is a Karnal Yom Rishon, like the Gemara says in Rish Hashanah Chav Zayin. Musaf of Rish Hashanah is the day we celebrate the anniversary of creation, the anniversary of Adam Vechava. So, what should be the Kriyas Hatayr of Rish Hashanah? Bereishis Baruch Lekim Asashmayim Vesaritz Vayomer Elikim Nasadam Mitzalmeinu Kedem Asena. What's the Kriyas Hatayr of Rish Hashanah? All about children. 
we learn about Hagar, and we learn about Yishmael, and we learn about Sarah, and we learn about Yitzchak, and after we learn about Shmuel, and we learn about Chana, and we learn about Rachel, Mavakal, Bana, all about children, and we learn about the Akedah, Vayel Chushneim, Yachdov. And then the Mepharshim come and struggle to figure out the connection from Rosh Hashanah to the Akedah, and the connection of Rosh Hashanah to Shmuel and Chana, and the connection of Rosh Hashanah to Hagar and Yishmael, and Hashem Pocket the Sarah. What's the connection? Why don't you just read me in Yon Anniversary of Creation. One of the explanations, my dearest friends, is how do Jews celebrate the creation of the cosmos? How do we celebrate the creation of mankind? How do we celebrate the existence of our extraordinary universe that is so mind-staggering in its brilliance and in its dazzling wisdom and stupendous beauty? How do we celebrate it? We celebrate it by focusing on the miracle of children. We celebrate it by focusing on our great privilege to bring children to the world and to raise them amidst the struggle, amidst the turmoil, amidst the challenges. As parents, as educators, we must emulate those individuals who understand what it means to have a heart. Never ever to make that child feel like a zero. Never ever to make that child feel like a loser, like a thief. To be able to see the positive, to be able to accentuate the mindless, to be able to believe in them so that they can believe in themselves. Which brings us to another extraordinary prerequisite of this entire approach, the prerequisite of this work of Yad Lachem, and a tremendous lesson. And that is, never do you give up Never do you surrender to despair. I am telling you, hearing some of the stories and seeing what's going on, Yad Lachem is involved today with 10 thousand cases. Now, you might think I'm exaggerating. I can't give you the names of the 10,000. But I spoke to the organizer. They tell me Adlachim is involved with 10,000 cases in one way or another. Some cases are very serious. Some cases are less serious. Some cases need minimal involvement and some cases need dramatic involvement. But there's 10,000 cases on the records of Yad Lachim. What's the greatest lesson here? You never give up on a Jewish soul. It's very easy to say it's a lost case. But when you believe in them, and you connect to them, and you show them a brighter future, it's incredible how much could be accomplished. Incredible. And it reminds me of something that just happened in Israel. And I feel it's an incredible lesson. I don't know if you read about it or you heard about it, but it, uh, it was really, it much happened just a few days ago. I saw the story in the New York Times on September 7th or September 8th, not much recently. Incredible, incredible uh, what the New York Times, who's not chashud in uh, extra amuna, called a scientific miracle. The 1960s, Israel was excavating the Masada, the famous mountain, the fortress of the zealots that fell in the year 73 after the Kamenera, a few years after the Churban Beis HaMikdash. And they found there seeds of a date palm tree. What the Chumash calls in Parashas Eikim, Eretz Chitus, Sa'ir, Vegefen, Vetein, Vrimen, Eretz Zeis Shemen, Udvash. Chazal say, what's Dvash? Dvash is Dvash Tmarim, the honey that comes from the dates. They found such seeds that Chazal and the Tanakh extolled the dates of Eretz Yisrael. The Tmarim and the Dvash of Eretz It's called Eretz Zavaz Cholav Dvash. Dvash is not the Bi Dvash. Dvash is Dvash Tmarim, Dvash of date. They found the seeds. 
It remained dormant. In 2005, some botanists decided to do what seemed like the impossible and plant it. And they planted it. They didn't think anything will happen. You know what happened? It started to grow saplings. They were astounded. The seed came to life. And they named this sapling the Mesushelach tree. Because like Mesushelach, it lived close to a millennium, but this lived more than two millennia. More than two, this was two millennia. Double the lifespan of Mesushelach. Came to the Shelach. And it grew into be a tree, but then they realized it was a male tree, which you could never know from the seed. You needed to grow to be able to see genetically if it's a male or a female. If it's a male tree, you know, males can't... Uh, <laughs> the male tree couldn't produce the dates. A few years ago, they went and they found in the Judean deserts, you know where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Qumran Caves. In that area, they found more seeds of dates. More seeds of a date tree. Date seeds. And they planted it in the Negev, in a kibbutz Ketura, in southern Israel. And it was being cultivated under the intense heat of the, south, of, of the south of Israel, the Negev. And then they decided to make a chshidach between Mesushelach and the female seeds. Female seeds also started to grow. It had to be pollinated. They took the pollen from Mesushelach and they put it on the female day tree, which they called Chana. So you have Mr. Shelech and you have Chana, and they became the biological parents of the dates that were harvested two weeks ago in Eretz Yisrael. And in the morning, the botanists and some guests came. They, harv- they, they, they plucked the first dates. I saw the pictures. Nice, fresh. They looked delicious. I didn't taste them. And they made And they ate these dates that are 2,000 years old literally, they grew from seeds. These dates actually from the Judean deserts may even be more than 2,000 years old. Some said that it was 2,500 years old and they came, it looked like they originated in Iraq. So some even wanted to say that Nehemiah and Ezra's Rubavel, they came from Bavel and they brought te, they brought Te'inim, they brought Tmarim. It was those dates. That I can't tell you. But we're talking about dates that go back perhaps before Bayashani, at the time of Bayashani, talking about those seeds that now grew into dates, and the Edei Re'iyah said they were delicious, and they tasted like honey, because Devash is Devash Tmarim, and they made a Shechiyanu. Now, I found it very exciting. First of all, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing because it captures Jewish history. 2,000, 2,500 years later, people looked at us and said, Tzioin Sadat Echarish. I remember the laugh. We all remember the laughing of Rabbi Akiva at the end of Makkas. Nichamtonu, Nichamtonu. Tzioin Sadat Echarish. O Yeshu Skenim, Skenim, Berchavis, Yerushalayim. Ah! You could talk say Shechiyonu v'Kimonu v'Yonu l'Zmanaza. But I also see it as a metaphor for Knesset Yisrael. Ki ya'odam eitzasada ki tiyu atem eretz chayfetz. Sometimes you look at a Jew and you see a seed and the seed seems dead and lifeless and numb and emaciated. No Ruach Haim for 2,000 years is as gelegen on an eshama, on a guf, no, no trunk, no roots, nothing. An isolated dead seed and you look at it, what can become of it? Nothing. But take a look at what they did. They took such a seed from Eretz Yisrael before the Churb. And if you give it the right soil and the right water, and the right sunlight, photosynthesis, the warmth and the heat and the passion of the sun, and the right earth, you have to have humility, and the right avir, the right ear, you need soil, you need air, and you need sunlight, and you need water. And what happens? Tchiyas ha-meisa. Atzambas ha-yeveshes, as Yecheskel says, 
Story of Shabbos Chalamoyed Pesach. Atzomus The dry bones come back to life. It's a metaphor of our times. It's a metaphor of Eretz Yisrael today. It's a metaphor of the Geula Shleima B'meira B'yameinu. But it's also a metaphor for every Jew. You don't give up on a Jewish seed. The Gemara says in Tainis Dafheim Midbeis Yaakov Avinu Loi Meis Mazarei Bachayim Afu Bachayim. The Gemara could have said Bonav Bachayim Makish Hu Lazarei. The pasuk that you and your children are going to come back. The Gemara says Mazarei Bachayim Afu Bachayim. The diuk is Zarei. Every yid is a Zera Yisrael, Zera Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. And that seed, you could look at a seed. There's nothing here. No, no, no. Don't be fooled. Al Tabet Al Mareyu Adam Yirulei Naim Vashem Yirulei Vlevov. Plant the seed. Allow it to develop roots. Reconnect it to its roots and give it its sunlight. Give it its water. Give it its soil. Give it its air. And scientific and heavenly miracles will happen. And you'll be able to look at these souls, at these Jews, and say, Ru'u gidulim shegidalnu, shechiyanu v'kimanu v'kiyanu l'zmanazah. Never ever give up on a child. Never ever give up on a friend's child. Never ever give up on a loved one. Never ever give up on yourself. And never ever give up on any Jew in the world. You have to realize that every neshama is a chelik mal mamash. It's a piece of infinity. It's a fragment of the divine. It's a piece of heaven. And even if its spiritual depth remains dormant and latent, and even if it remains asleep and unconscious, it's hidden, it's asleep, it's relegated to the subconscious layers of their psyche. But chalila, to think that it's gone, that it's obsolete, that cannot happen. Elamai, you need to have the approach. You need to be able to try again. You have to be able to tune in. You have to be able to transcend judgmentalism and insecurity and pettiness and fear. And you also have to be able to transcend religious arrogance and this attitude of holier than thou and this easiness to dismiss people who make us uncomfortable. You have to be able to see the bonim atem l'ashem alekeichem ahafti eschem amar Hashem bein kach bein kach atem kruyim bonim kedushin lamedvav halachi kereb meir as the Rajba says. You have to be able to see l'achlifam b'uma acheres. Is quoted in the Medrash. You have to be able to see it. And when you can see that, you could believe in them. They'll be able to believe in themselves. And they'll be able to be restored to their pristine, innate, extraordinary holiness. Shapiro from Krakow, who passed away in the year 1640, the year Tov. And it says on his Matseva that he was Zoycha that Elio Hanavi revealed himself to him to teach him Torah. Now you know what it says in Amatseva. It's not simple because a person is held accountable for what it says in Amatseva. That's why you have to be careful not to write Guzmayas, not to exaggerate, not to exaggerate on Amatseva. So Amaisa once in Hummel, in, in, in Gomel, in Russia, the Rav was a Yitzchak Isaac Halevi of Hummel. And there was a Levaya of Ayid, and they put up a Matseva, and he went, and he chopped off words from the Matseva, and he came to the base manager, he said, Alechaim, he says, You have to be careful. The Megala Mukas' Matseva says that Elio Anavi revealed himself to him. Megala Mukas has a Moedad We know it's one of the Pile Ployim of Rosh Hashanah. Taisvis brings from the Sefer Aruch, in Masech Rosh the end, Aflamad Gimel. Lamed Gimel, Lamed Al, the end of Masech Rosh Hashanah. The minig to blow Meya Kailas. The minig on Rosh Hashanah is to blow a hundred sounds. A hundred Kailas, and that's what we do. Some do more, but Meya Kailas we do. Why? Keneged Meya Pi'iyas of Aim Sisra. We know that the Pasuk says, What's true? 
So the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, at the end of Rosh Hashanah, the Targum translates true as Yevava. What's Yevava? What's Yevava? So we have in Shoftim, Perekeva, Tiyavev, Aim Sisra. Sisra was the arch enemy of the Jewish people. He went to war. Dvoira and Barak ben Avinoyam fought Sisra. And Sisra was the greatest enemy of the Jewish people and a mighty, muscular, extraordinary, powerful figure. But we know how Dvoira and Barak defeated Sisra and his army in Nachal Kishon in this, in this story in the Navi in Sefer Shoftim. And the Pasuk says there at the end, Vatiyaviv aim Sisra. The mother of Sisra moaned. She groaned, where's my son? Her lady friends comforted her. They gave her futile solace. Don't worry, he's collecting all the booty of the defeated Jews. He's going to come back with infinite richness. But a mother's heart knows. And Sisra's mother knew that this was not the case. We know what happened. Sisra ran away on foot and he entered into the tent of Yael. And Yael gave him milk to drink. And she put him to sleep. And she ultimately took the hammer and the peg and she etched it into his forehead and sister was slain and the Jewish people were rescued and saved. So sister cried, Yevava, that's how we know what Yevava is. So we learn what Kia Shoifer is from the mother of sister crying for his son. Strange, strange Rabbi Sayonat. And the Gemara has a whole pilpul. What's a Yevava? Is it a groan? Is it a sob? Is it, oi? Oy, oy, shvarim, or is it <laughs> true? And of course, as good Jews, we want the cake and we want to eat it too. So what do we do? We do shvarim, we do true, and maybe it's both. So we do shvarim true, and we're covered. So Taisva says we do a hundred kailas because Sisra's mother cried a hundred times. We come to Surah Shoshana, might ki yashayfer, yurt ki yashayfer, ki yashayfer of Knesset Yisrael for thousands of years is lakover the mother of Sisra. How do we explain this? It's a half ledikimagala mukas. I'm just going it's, to, it's, it's deep and intense and intricate. We have only a few moments left, so I'm just going to say, The Gemara tells us in Meseches Nazir, The Gemara speaks over there about the fact that When you look at the Psukim of Sisra running into the tent of Yael, it says the word Shachav, Kara Shachav, seven times. The way Yael managed to get Sisra so exhausted, he was a mighty man was by having relations with him seven times. Ultimately, he falls asleep, and ultimately, she can kill him. And this is what she did in order to save Klal Yisrael from this arch-evil enemy, Sisra. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Tzadik Vav, in the Ketuk Yisoyfrim, Mibnei Bonov Shal Sisra, Lamdu Toyra Bibnei Brak, Umanu Rebakiva. Rebakiva came from Sisra. So the Megala Mukas explains, and he goes through the Psukim, and shows how it's all indicated in the Pesukim. It's a half of the Kimagala Mukas. We'll have to do it in another year. How this happened from that day or night when Yael was together with Sisra. Sisra impregnated Yael. And this was ultimately the seed that after many generations produced Rabbi Akiva, who was a Ben Gadim. He came from non-Jews. He came from Sisra. His Elta, 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 Zedu was Sisra with Yael. And this was the Nisham of Rabbi Akiva. Wow. And the Megala Mukas says... That the mother, every mother in Tanakh is a metaphor for the Shechina. Every mother in Tanakh. Because our mother, Eim Habonim Smeicha, the Mamer, Shechinta Begalusa, Rochel Mavaka Al Boneha. Every mother is rooted in the ultimate mother, the mother of creation. The Shechina, which is Loshin Akevet, is Kutshebrichu Loshin Zocher, Shechinta Loshin Akevet, Shem Yichud Kutshebrichu Shechinta, the masculine and the feminine, Soiv of Kalam and the Mamala Kalam. 
So Bameel explained, and Fashachayim explained, and Tanya, a lot of Svarim. So what happens, says the Megala Mukas, the Shechina is crying. Oi, did Sisra die before bringing into the world the seed of Rabbi Akiva's Neshama? Because the Shechina knows, and the mother of Sisra has an unconscious awareness that the seed of Rabbi Akiva is in Sisra. Was he killed prematurely before he passed on that seed? That was the Yavava. Of course, that did not happen because Yael got the seed of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Akiva came to the world and Kulu Alibad Rabbi Akiva, the whole Torah that we have today, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, comes from Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva is the person who is responsible for the Messiah of Torah after the Churban when it seemed like. Every Shir in Gemara, every Shir in Medrash, every Shir in Torah is based on Rabbi Akiva and the five students that he created, as the Gemara says in Yavama Samach Beis. Ah! So when we're blowing 100 kailas of shaifer, or when we're blowing 130 kailas of shaifer, we're not just blowing sounds of a shaifer. Every one of those kailas is dedicated to a nitzutz, to a Yiddish neshama. And this neshama may be trapped in a body that looks like Yisisra, who's a Russia, but that sister may be carrying the seed of Rabbi Akiva. And as we're blowing shaifer, we want to rescue and we want to identify, and we want to embrace, and we want to open ourselves up, and we want to wake up and trigger and stir and stimulate that isolated neshama who may externally seem like he's trapped in Sisra, but really there may be a Rabbi Akiva who can be lost to the Jewish people. And that's the Yavava, that's the tears of every single Jewish mother and of every single Jewish father and of every single Jew who blows a hundred kailas keneged the meya yevavis of Sisra? Is it possible that there's a Yiddish nitzutz that's trapped in a Sisra, but it's really a nitzutz of Rabbi Akiva or the ilk of Rabbi Akiva? And it may never come back to us because we may kill it and we may get rid of it before we had a chance to redeem it and to rescue it from the imke imke haklipus. My dearest friends, Tayyid Yidin, I'm going to conclude with a story. This is an incredible, incredible story. I love this story. It, it's, it's so telling. It's so beautiful. It's so, it's so Jewish. The story was shared years ago on BBC. Probably one of the most powerful stories ever shared on BBC by a British Jew whose name was Beryl Gartner. And Beryl Gartner shared this story on BBC. It was a story about himself. During the eight months before the Second World War broke out, 1938, 1939, there was a kinder, kinder, was a kinder transport from Germany and other Nazi-occupied countries that came to Britain, to England. 10,000 Jewish kids were saved. Ultimately, it was interrupted when the war broke out. Yud Zion Elul, Tafresh Tzadik Tess, 1939, just a few days before Rosh Hashanah, September 1, 1939. Betel Gartner was one of the children who had to bid farewell to his parents and siblings. He was 11 years old or 12 years old and he was sent on a kinder transport to England. The kids were placed in orphanages. And many of these children, I think most of these children, were the sole survivors of their families because their entire families were wiped out by Hitler and Machshama. Beryl was in an orphanage with other Jewish children, but he did not stop crying. He begged those who took care of him in the orphanage to please unite him with the parents. They tried to help him in any way possible, to buy him toys and to appease him and to reward him and to try to distract him to no avail. Beryl could not come back to himself, grieving and mourning for his beloved parents who were not with him any longer. 
Go, go understand what these Jews went through. One day, King George VI was going through the village, going through the town. He would, those years, inspect the kinder transports and different refugees who came to England to see the work that England did to save all these kids. King George VI was the monarch, the king, who ruled the British Commonwealth from 1936 until his death in 1952. And the heads of the orphanage told the Jewish children, including Beryl, that King George is coming. And when Beryl heard that, he calmed down. He stopped crying. It was strange. He heard that the king is traveling through the village and they could see him, and he stopped crying. He had a secret. The day when King George passed in the royal carriage with the royal entourage, all the children were brought out of the orphanages and they lined up to watch the king and salute the king during this parade and sing to the king and extol the king and praise the king, King George VI. And there were, of course, barricades blocking all the visitors and all the youth and all the children who were watching the king. And as the royal carriage came by and it passed the place where Beryl was standing, in all of his might, he broke through the barricades and he ran to the carriage. Nothing would stop him. Of course, the royal guards immediately would not allow this to happen. They grabbed him and they schlepped him back to the barricades. But the king noticed this commotion because all these guards jumped this kid. You know, what does he want to do? Does he want to assassinate the king? Does he want to hurt the king? So the king noticed this commotion and he turned to one of his uh, bodyguards and he asked him, What's, uh, what happened? So they told this king that this, ki- this kid was trying to jump the, jump the royal carriage. So the king said, let me see him. And they brought him to the king. And the king said, why were you running to the carriage? Is there something you want to tell me or ask me? He says, yeah. But he doesn't speak. He starts crying. He starts crying. The king says, what's wrong? He says, I miss my parents. I was brought here from Germany. And I miss my parents. I don't want to be separated from my father and my mother. Please, bring my parents here so I could be with them. And the king, with eyes of compassion, looks at him and says, My son, we are now at war with Germany. There is no way I can bring your parents. And he looked at the king with the eyes of a 12-year-old and he said, But you're the king of England. You can do anything. I'm sure you could find a way to bring my parents to me. And he burst out sobbing again. And the king said, give me the name of your parents. Stop crying. Let me see what I can do. He bid farewell to the king, not knowing what to expect. A few months later, there was a knock on the door of his orphanage. Beryl Gartner's parents were brought out of Germany, reunited in London with their son Beryl. The Balatanya says that in the days and weeks leading up to Rosh Hashanah, the Melech is Basada. Not King George. The Melech Malche Amlochem also goes out to the villages, also goes out to the fields, also goes out, I don't know if you could see here our, our forests here, also comes out. He leaves the palace. He meets you on your terms. He wants to come to your home, to your village, to your office, to your quarantine, to your heart, to your space, to connect with you. But so many of us are behind barricades. We feel that we cannot approach the king. There are too many barricades. My heart is locked up. It's not just I am on lockdown. My heart is on lockdown. How can I approach the king? There's no relationship. There's only cynicism and apathy and depression and sadness and trauma. 
There are so many barricades. And sometimes the barricades come from without. It's maybe our thoughts or maybe our actions in the past. There's barricades. I can't approach them. Or maybe it's barricades that were imposed by others. And maybe it's our Jewish girls and women who are stuck behind enemy lines and they're behind barricades. This Elul and this Rosh Hashanah, I say to you, my dearest brothers and my dearest sisters, jump the barricades. Leap over the barricades. Don't get distracted. Remember the fourth of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is what? Avud Raham says what? The fourth Uvechain of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is I'm going to come to the king even if the law says I can't because there are barricades. The Shalom and the Rachel Chachmas say, Acher never did shuvah, chagigad aftasvav. Why? You're a baskel. Shuvah bonam shoivavim chutz meyacher. It's a mistake. The Gemara says, Kol ma'asha balabayis oymalacha say chutz mitzay. Whatever the balabayis tells you to do, you do, unless he tells you leave. If he tells you leave, you don't do that. You don't have to leave the house. You want me to take off my shoes, I'll take off my shoes. You want me to be quiet, I'll be quiet. <laughs> you want me to speak at your table, I'll speak. You want me to sing a song, I'll sing a song. But you tell me leave, I don't have to leave. Rebbein Shalalim tells you what to do, you do it. Besides when he says, say, when he says, leave, I'm not interested in you. You don't have to listen. You can jump the barricades. Forget about the barricades in your heart. Jump the barricades. Get onto the carriage and speak to the king heart to heart and face to face. Tell him everything that's on your mind. Tell him everything that's on your heart. Connect in the deepest and most intimate way. Be raw, be open, be vulnerable. And extraordinary things can happen. Allow God to invest in you. Open yourself up to His imagination of what you're capable of so that you and all of us can have and experience the most awesome, powerful, blessed, healthy, prosperous, happy, and joyous Thank you very much. Hold him down. you got to hold him down. And she holds him down, and the poor kid is screaming. And at that moment, mommy is literally disobeying and betraying the trust and the yearnings and the tears of this child but mommy knows that this child needs to get this blood test but something interesting happens the needle is over and who does the child go to for comfort the child goes to mommy for comfort why are you going to mommy she's the one who's guilty she's the one who forced you into the doctor's office because the child may not understand why the child may not at this point have a grasp. The child doesn't know. But the child knows that this is my mother and I can trust her. And therefore, even though she did it, I come back to her for a hug and for an embrace. And I find this very reflective, often, of our relationship with Hashem. Life is mysterious. said, The secrets of Torah, there are some Jews who know. But the secrets of the world, only you know the secrets of the world. The journeys of life are so unfathomable and often so mysterious. It says, In our hands, in our brains, we don't have the answers to the serenity of the Russia and to the suffering of the Tzaddik. We just don't, after all the explanations in the world. And I know that I have colleagues and rabbis who give explanations for everything and they rationalize and they justify and uh, whatever. I, I don't think, I think that ultimately we don't know most of these things, or at least a lot we don't know. And even that which we think we know, there's much more that we don't know.
And we have to be able to have that appreciation that we're dealing with infinity, and there's no way that a finite brain can grasp infinity. But what I do know, and what I really want to cultivate within myself is the absolute conviction that the Rabbi Nishalaylam conceived you in love. He created you in love. He loves you infinitely, and as the Baal Shem Tev said, Hashem's love to every Jew is infinitely greater than the love of parents to an only child who was born when they were already older. And even that doesn't grasp, doesn't capture the profundity of the Ava of Hashem to every Jew. The last Navi that we had was the Navi Malachi, who was in the beginning of Bayesheni. And what's his final message? He tells the Jewish people, Ahafti Eschem Amar Hashem. And the Jews ask, they say, he says, the Jews are going to say, You love me? Come on, look at me. First of all, I'm not worthy of love. And second of all, you put me through all this trouble. says, And every morning we say, And then we say, The Chazal made sure to put this as a bracha before Krishmet. And if you're a good Ashkenaz Nusach, He's even greater than Avas Oilam. And in that brach, Avas Oilam, we mentioned the verb love seven times. And it's not enough to say in the beginning, Avas Oilam, we finish off, And then you could be Because if you don't have this prerequisite, that Hashem really is crazy about you, Kivayachal, and he loves you to pieces, and he loves you un- infinitely, and the love is unconditional, more than a parent to a child, then it's very difficult for me to be able to say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad, V'ahavtas Hashem Alekechem B'chol Levavchem B'chol Mavshechem B'chol Maidech. So even when we're going through difficulties in life, and we don't understand why, and we don't always have to understand why, it's important to spend time and meditate in calmness and serenity on the truth that Hashem loves you. And I want to share something with you, you know, if you were never loved in your life, you probably don't know what it feels like to be loved. It's a very, very deep feeling, and unfortunately, many people don't know what it is. And I'm going to ask you this question honestly, my dear friends. Do you know what the experience of feeling loved is? I don't mean intellectually. Oh yeah, I love you, I love you. I'm not talking from a cerebral space. I'm talking about from a body, physical, experiential place that you can mamish feel it. Do you know what that experience is? Some of us don't. We never had it. Maybe we had the opposite. David HaMelech says, Ki avi As an adult, you have to be able to cultivate it and learn how to acquire it. Allow yourself to open yourself up to Hashem's love. You have to open yourself up to it. And you have to speak to the trauma in you because the trauma inside of you says, no, you're not lovable. Nobody's ever going to love you. So this is a real, real mental avoided. This is avoided. This is real avoided Hashem. And, and trust and, and rest assured, this is avoided Hashem. This is maybe the essence of avoided Hashem. To be able to open yourself up emotionally and experientially to feel God's love to you. Great question. And... Uh, The answer I'm going to give you is a marshal from the Baal Shem Tev. It's a beautiful marshal, and it's so apropos this year. The Helika Baal Shem Tev said, it's based on a medrash, the king of the jungle is the lion, and the lion was once angry at all the animals, and they were all threatened by him and intimidated, and they were frightened that he's going to destroy them all. So they had a conference, and the fox, the shrewd and sly fox, told them, 
Don't worry. Let's go to the king. And I have, in my repertoire, I have 300 beautiful stories and anecdotes and jokes that the king, the lion, is going to love. And that way we will be able to placate him and appease him and everything will be fine. Great. So all of the animals begin this parade, this procession, to the Melech Shabachayis, Aryeh Shag Milayira. And on the way, the fox turns to Reb Wolf. It was an alter, alter Chayadir, Reb Zev Wolf, Reb Wolf. And he says, Reb Wolf, oy, 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 I forgot a hundred of my stories. Reb Wolf says, don't worry, you still have two hundred. Fine. They move on. They're getting already closer to the king. He turns to the Betel. The Betel, Reb Doiv. And he says, Betel, Betel, I forgot another hundred stories. He says, okay, Nishka Fedach, you still have a hundred. It's enough to entertain the lion, the king. They're already approaching the den of the lion. They're approaching his territory. He rises up. He's erect. He gives the roar. Aryeh, Shag, Milo, as the Navi says. And what happens? The fox turns to the Tzvi Hirsch, to the deer, to the gazelle, and he says, Reb Tzvi, Reb You won't believe it. I forgot the last hundred stories. Oy, oy, oy. Their whole hope was the fox with his stories, with his entertaining anecdotes and metaphors and parables and toyrelach and vertlach. He's broke. There's nothing there. And the lion is standing and waiting. He's angry and furious. And they all come around the fox. They say, well, what should we do? What should we do? The Baal says, the fox looked at them and said, don't you realize I did my job? My job was to get you out of your comfort zone, to get you out of your fear and to bring you to the king. Now, it's up to you. Let every single one of you go on your own and speak to the king face to face, heart to heart, and make peace with him. So the Baal Shem Tev said, comes Yamim Noirayim, and we hire Chazonim, and Balitfila, and Rabbonim, and Magidim, and Mashgichim, and Balimusr, and speakers, and teachers. We hire them all to inspire them, and to sing for us, and to daven for us, and to speak Dvorim Ayotzim and Alev, and to be Mo'eris Alev. And the Baal says, they're like the hired fox. We bring in the fox, he knows all the stories, he knows all the tefillahs, he knows all the nigunim, he knows all the songs, and he's going to do it for us, and we're going to listen, and we'll sing along once in a while, or read the pamphlet on the table. And he says, at some point, the fox turns to us and says, I got, I got nothing. My job was just to get you into the territory. But now, it's all about you. And the Baal Shem Tov says, Shaloi lisma <laughs> not to rely on the Chazanim and on the rabbis. How apropos this year. You know what you should do this for Shoshanah? It's like the fox said. I got all the stories, but now I got nothing. Now it's you. It's you. This Rosh Hashanah, I say to you, make it the most memorable, meaningful, powerful, and inspiring Rosh Hashanah of your life. I know our flow has been interrupted. What we're all accustomed to and what we all cherish for many years has been interrupted. But let's also be honest. How memorable was your last Rosh Hashanah and two Rosh Hashanahs ago? Sometimes people are bored in shul. Yeah? This Rosh Hashanah, make it real. Make it authentic. No fanfare, no drama. Nobody was watching you, no pressure, no time, no chazan going too fast, too slow, singing too loud, too low, singing the songs you like, too much chazanas, and gargles he wants to hear himself. You know the Maisa, it's a great one. There was once a chazan in a shul in New Jersey, Rosh Hashanah, and he davened for long, he didn't stop. And when he finished, the president comes over to him and says, you will never be hired again in this place. The chazan comes home depressed. His wife says, what's the matter? Make kiddish, he says, I'm fasting. She says, you're fasting. I know you for 40 years. You don't fast. Tell me what's going on. He says, I'm not in the mood of eating. She says, why not? 
He says, the president told me that he's never ever going to invite me again because my chazanus was horrible. You know, a wise woman, an Eshes Chayel, knows what to say to her husband. She says to him, oh, that president, what does he know? He's an idiot. He just repeats what the whole shul says. So the bottom line is, instead of, you know, the chazan did well, the chazan didn't do well, the Rav gave a good Russia, not a good Russia. I liked it, I didn't like it, whatever. Now it's a Rosh Hashanah of intimacy. It's a Rosh Hashanah of Yisrael, the Malkabil Chedoi. It's a Rosh Hashanah of Chana. The Aftar of Rosh Hashanah is, Chana goes into the Mishkan herself. Eli thinks she's drunk. Chana is communicating with the Rebbein Shalom heart to heart. As Yirmiya says, Shivchi chamayim libech noichech pnei Hashem, right? Shivchi chamayim chamam. That's what Rosh Hashanah should be. It should be a Rosh Hashanah in which you coronate the Rebbeinu Shalom as your Melech. What does it mean to coronate the Rebbeinu Shalom as your Melech? It means to realize that the king inside of you is your Chelek Elekami Mal, which means your infinite core is your Melech. You're not ruled by your addictions, by your fears, by your insecurities, by your traumas by your envy, by your hatred, by your resentments, by your narcissism, by all of your mental disorders or personality issues or challenges or shortcomings or flaws. You know who's ruling your life? Ruling in you is the infinite source of existence that lives in you. Who's the ruler in my life? That's Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is Kabbalah Samalchus. Realize that Rosh Hashanah is the time that we basically... Become, it's the deepest achtos, it's the deepest achtos of Ein Melech Buloyam. Hashem begs every Jew, I want a relationship with you. I want you to coronate me. And the fact that you're in the privacy of your home, do not see it at all as a diminished Rosh Hashanah. I say, conversely, make it the most powerful, meaningful, intimate, authentic, raw, and transformative Rosh Hashanah in your life. In terms of Yiddishkeit, I think, you know, this is such a big topic and a big sugya and so much is being discussed about this now. So I'm just going to make a few, you know, brief and, and points that I hope could be relevant and meaningful. And that is, you know, I find that the deepest way to inspire your children is by really, really serving as a true role model. In other words, if I'm inspired by Yiddishkeit, my children will see my Simcha Sachayim, they'll see my Midas Toivas, they'll see my Emuna. They'll see my menuchas hanefesh. They'll see my discipline. They'll see my truthfulness, my integrity. And it's going to touch them. It's going to affect them. Of course, we have a mitzvah of chinuch. And we want to educate our children and mold our children and discipline our children in a healthy and loving way and create structures in the home that are, that are, that are wonderful and are productive and are positive. But the most important thing is, ultimately, my kids are going to get older. And they're going to have to make their own decisions. I'm not going to be able to control them forever. There's a beautiful Rashi in Parshas Baloischa. Shatehe shall have us not Bahadlikha. Don't light the candle. You have to put the match there and make sure that the Shalhevis is Oilameha. It burns on its own. So that even when the match is not there, it's still gonna burn. Sometimes it's burning because the match is there. So yeah, you know, when my child is at home, I say what to do. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and perhaps I can get my child to listen. And today, once they're older, even that is not so simple. But you know what your real goal is? You want that Yiddishkeit should be transferred to your child from a place of pnimius. In other words, if it's really MS, if it touches me, so then the way I speak to my children about it is it's real. It's MS. And there's no substitute for that. I could play the game. I can fake it. But ultimately, children feel my truth. They feel not only your conscious, but your subconscious. 
So that's why the deepest way of chinuch is to work on yourself, to become the person that you're capable of becoming. Confront your stuff, confront your skeletons, confront your anxiety, confront your toxicity. Today the big avoid is within yourself. Cleanse yourself. Develop a consciousness of ge'ula. Develop a consciousness of infinity. Develop a consciousness of dveikas in a real way. And some of us need help with this. It's not so simple. But we can get it. Make sure your shalom bias is beautiful and sterling. Make sure your Shabbos table is a lichtika Shabbos table. And it doesn't mean that you have to follow all the rules, you know, say the Dvartaira. You could say jokes, you know, you could uh, ask riddles, you could play interesting games. But bond, bond with your children, that's the second thing. It's so important to emotionally bond with our kids, to understand them, to spend time with them, to be there with them when they're young. Because you want that when they're teenagers, they should be able to trust you. They should be able to know that Tati is the guy I could speak to. Mommy is the guy that I could speak to. Discipline is important, but the discipline should not be from anger. It should be, it should be from love. In terms of davening yourself and davening with your children, listen, as parents, we dedicate time to help our children daven. And that, that's, that's part of your davening, part of your relationship with Hashem is, what does Hashem say about Avram Avinu? Don't feel that the time you're spending with your children and davening and learning is taking away from your davening and learning. That's your ultimate davening and learning. Your ultimate davening and learning is that you're connecting other people. You know, Yitzave means command, but Yitzave is from the Lashon Tzavsa V'chibur. Yitzave means connect. Mitzvah is a connection. He connects his children. So when you connect your children, that's an essential, essential part of your Avaidah Hashem. But that doesn't mean screaming at your children to daven instead of you davening. It means inspiring your children, davening with your children, singing with your children, connecting with your children. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful question. What I would say is, I would say two things. First of all, this is a very special time because the whole world is going through a cheshben hanefesh and we're going through a cheshben hanefesh but the whole world is going through a shtikel elul and a shtikel aserisimei At least any person who's aware of what's happening, you know? Our public centers have been closed, and we are all quarantined in one way or another, and literally the whole world. It's amazing, right? I have a sister-in-law in Australia, they can't leave their house, and I have a brother-in-law in South Africa, and he can't leave his house, and I have relatives in Israel, whatever. It's just, it's incredible. It's like everyone is, uh, is in this quarantine. So it's a very special time now to reevaluate your life, I would say, don't just take a Kabbalah for one thing. You know, I'm going to start uh, doing this. That's great. It's, it's a wonderful thing to take. But I think it's really an opportunity to uh, really go into ourselves and ask the deeper, tougher questions. You know, create paradigm shifts. And what I would say to you is, number one, ask yourself, what are you afraid most? What are you afraid of most? There's probably something that's really frightening you, that's really holding you back. And try to do tshuva in that. Try to confront that. Maybe it's having a conversation with somebody that you didn't have for many years. Try doing that. Maybe it's getting involved in something, in a project. Maybe it's making a call. Maybe it's jumping into something. Maybe it's dealing with a certain issue in your life that you're so afraid of. That's where it should begin. Confront it. Jump the barricade. Don't be afraid of that. That's number one. Number two, the next thing I would say is, there shouldn't be anybody in the world that you're not on speaking terms with. If there's somebody you're not on speaking terms with because of yourself, is nishgut. I'm not talking about a case where, you know, there's an abuser or a molester and you have to protect yourself or your kids. 
But if you're fighting with your brother, your sister, your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, your father, your mother, your zayda, your uncle, your aunt, your shutif, your old shutif, your future shutif, your classmate, the guy in shul, whatever it is, your nephew, call them up. Even if you are right, don't hold on to machlaikasin. Again, I'm not talking about a situation where, you know, you're taking somebody, they owe you a lot of money, you have a right to get back the money they owe you. And I'm not talking about a case of pikuach nefesh, where somebody is a danger to your life and you have to create boundaries. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about all these fights that we have, disagreements about Yerushas, about Savoyas, about our parents, about the business, about who took the business, who owns the business, and we don't show up at Chasnas, we don't show up at Bamitzvahs. I can't speak to my sister, I can't speak to my niece ever again. Come on. Come on. After 2,000 years of Gullus, it's time to get out of our pettiness. Make the call. No text, no text, no text. Make the call or meet them face to face. Call them up and say, listen, I'm sorry. Let's make amends. We don't have to become best friends. But we could show up at each other's simchas. We could say good Shabbos to each other in shul. Our kids are allowed to talk to each other. I think everyone should do this. Everyone. I want you, this Yom Kippur, you come to shul and you say, God, there's not a single person in the world that I am not on speaking terms with. Again, they may not be on speaking terms with you. But there's not a person in the world. I'm not talking about, I'm not, again, I'm not talking about terrorists. I'm not talking about the Osama bin Ladens of the world. Better not to be on speaking terms with them. But there's nobody in my whole orbit that I'm not on speaking terms, that I can't say good Shabbos, that I can't say good Yom Tov to them. I can't invite them to my, my son's bar mitzvah. There's no such a person in the world. That's the person I think you should aspire, aspire to become this year, Tavshin Payalov. Yeah. 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 They feel they're too addicted to their phones. Oh. <laughs> they can't stop. They have it at night. What advice? Would you yeah. Okay. So, so the bottom, the question is like this: If they're listening to my clips, then I can give a hetter. <laughs> just joking, just joking. But it's a big problem. It's a big problem. We are addicted. We are addicted. It's a disease. We have gaming addictions and we have screen addictions. And yes, we're always on WhatsApp and we're looking at clips. You're looking at Rabbi YY, then you're watching Rabbi Melech Biedemann, then you go to Times of Israel, then you go about a story about Trump and Bahrain, and then there's a picture with a Sefer Torah, and then there's a good clip about therapy, and then there's a good clip about Chinuch, and then there's a good clip about global warming, and then there's a funny... It's, it's not Varim Asurim, it's Varim Mutarim. And you know what? There's some good stuff there. There's some inspiration there. But this is not good. This is destroying generations mentally, emotionally, intellectually, socially. And you gotta, you gotta, you got to stop this. You have to stop this. The rule of thumb is like this. I would say, generally speaking, again, you know, everyone has their own life, but I'm just giving general ideas. When you wake up in the morning, unless there's an emergency or something is urgent, you know, your child is calling from Israel or they're calling from the doctor's office, you should not be dealing with your phone. You should not be dealing with your phone. Halachically, hashkafically, it's a time to say maida'ani, it's a time to wash negel vaser, it's a time to say birches hashachar, it's a time to, it's a time to live. Not to distract yourself with WhatsApps. This davening, and then afterwards, you take your phone. But even then, be disciplined. There's times you're having a shear, you're learning a blad gemara, you're learning a perik rishnayis, you're learning parshas. Shut the phone. Shut the phone. A person has to have a few hours a day with now a phone. And then comes lunch or dinner with the family. No phone. Don't put it on vibrate. And don't even put it on off in your pocket. You put it in your drawer. If you're going to work these days, you come on 5 o'clock from 5 to 9. There's no phones. There's no phones. Speak to your wife. Speak to your husband. Speak to your children. I went the other day. I was at a school. 
and I'm watching a mother. It was so sad. I told my wife, I'm watching a mother walking home with two children, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old. You know, it's such a beautiful, innocent time, and they're walking, holding the hands of their mother, walking home from school. They live close to the school. It's such an unbelievable time to see, to gauge the emotions of your children, to bond with them, to giggle with them. But what was she doing? She was violently texting on the phone. Now, she wasn't doing bad things. She was probably doing an Amazon order for Rosh Hashanah. (laughs) We know what mothers do on phones. I trust that much more than the men on the phones. She wasn't doing... she She was probably doing something that she needs for the household. My point is that it's not coming from bad intentions. And still, very often, we just end up becoming consumed by it. And we don't own our phones. Our phones own us. They are the balabatim. They own us. They own us on every single level. And as a result of that, we are, uh, we are dealing with a situation that is, is, is sad and tragic. And never mind teenagers. Oh, my God. Teenagers? You give them those phones and they're on it for nine hours a day, especially now in the Zoom era. Nine hours a day, ten hours a day, two in the morning, three in the morning. And this is even if there's good filters and it's Dvarim Hamutarim, and it's innocent stuff, even then, the addiction to screens and the addiction to games and the addictions to technology, it dulls people's lives. I use it. We use it. We all use it. You use it for your businesses. You use it for fundraising. Yad La'achim uses it. Rabbi Waiwa uses it. All my shiurim use technology. We use it. We appreciate it. But we have to know that if you're not disciplined with it, for a few hours a day, it's out of your life, People go to bed with it. They wake up with it. It's mamish. Lahavdil. <laughs> That's pshat in the pasuk. Vidibarta bum. It's in my hands. It's on my eyes. Wherever I go, my home and my office. But the Torah doesn't say it about the iPhones. The Torah says it about Krishna. The Torah says it about Talmud Torah. We have to take control of this. And you know what? It dulls people. It dulls people. I know people, Shabbos and Yom Tif, they have, you know, you know, phantom pain. They hear vibrations of their phone a whole Shabbos because they're so accustomed to it. And I should also add, the second special, special thing they have to be careful is Dvarim HaSurim, which means pornography, TikTok, and all of these types of things that youngsters are getting on their phones and on their tablets. And it makes them addicted to the worst of the worst, and it ruins their marriages. I deal with this all day. And parents are afraid to say anything to their children. You want to be your children's best friend. You don't have to be your children's best friend. You want to be the one who really cares for your children. And if you can't make limits on those phones, and you cannot cleanse them with filters, and you cannot shut them down when you have to shut them down, you're making a big mistake. Because our kids are beautiful kids, but you can't expect a 14-year-old who has social anxiety and uh, maybe has a little ADD and is having a hard time in yeshiva, four o'clock in the morning, he's going to be watching filthy stuff. And it's not his fault. And we have to take the responsibility to mix in in a good and productive and loving way with seichel, with seichel. Don't become angry, don't become a mishugana, and don't become abusive. With seichel, with ava, you want to be a parent who creates healthy structures so that our children should be able to blossom. And I know it's a big Nisoy and it's not an easy thing, but this is the challenge of our time and we have to embrace it with passion and with gusto and with uh, commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, excellent question, excellent question. 
the answer is time, time, time. Let's begin with the spouse. It's very, very important to spend time with your spouse. I would suggest try every day or every other day, as often as you can, take a walk. Take a walk for 30 minutes. doesn't have to be a walk for three hours. Even 30 minutes, even 25 minutes, 40 minutes. And no phones. Maybe your wife could take a phone in case, you know, there's an urgent thing one of the children needs. But generally, take a walk. Just take a walk just, and, and just bond. Just connect. Just talk about the weather. Talk about the birds that are chirping. Talk about whatever you want to talk about. But just bond, you know, and be curious. It's not a time to be judgmental. Everybody's going through a lot. You know, be with your wife like you were on your dates. You remember on your dates? You were curious. You were inquisitive. You weren't judgmental. And you were interested. Just be like that. You know, let her be and let him be. Very important. Every day you have to take time to bond. Don't judge each other and don't just be critical of each other. Listen to each other. You don't have to agree with your spouse, but you have to trust your spouse. I don't need my wife to agree every, to everything I say. I hope she doesn't. <laughs> and I don't need my husband to agree to everything I say. You don't need that. But you need to be able to lean on each other. You need to be able to trust each other. You need to be able to support each other. We don't have to agree 100% and see everything eye to eye, but we have to respect each other. And I have to know that you have my back, and you have to know that I have your back, and I have to know that I could be vulnerable with you, and you have to know that you could be vulnerable with me, and we could just trust each other and be here for each other. And your, every spouse has to know that in their spouse's eyes, they are the most important person in the world. If a husband can't feel that about the wife, and the wife can't feel that about the husband, is nishtagota maisa. So this is work. It takes time. It takes work. And our children... Also, this is an issue of time, and what I suggest to people very practically is, you know, I once told somebody, he told me, I, I don't have no time for my kids. I say, why don't you pencil into your calendar that every night from 6.30 to 7.30, you have an appointment with your children? He says, no, appointments are for strangers. My children have me 24 hours a day. I said, you know what's going to happen? Your children are not even going to have you for 10 minutes a day. Let your children not be worse than strangers. Put them in your calendar. 6.30 to 8.30 every night I have an appointment with my kids. We play Monopoly. We play chess. We do homework. We make Rice Krispie fluff treats. We make cholent. We bake. We make a kugel. We take a walk. We throw frisbees. We learn Gemara. We learn Mishnayis. We chat. We shmuiz. We connect. We play Uno. Whatever. You'll figure out how to bond how to bond with your children. We go on a hike, we do exercise together, we go for a run, or we just sit and eat pizza. Depends on your hygiene, depends on your athletic abilities, depends on your levels of obesity. But put them into your calendar. And unless there's an emergency, you just spend time. And when you spend time with them, it's not going to happen in one day, but they're going to start talking to you. I don't mean when they're 20 or when they're 17. I'm talking about when they're 4 and when they're 3 and when they're 2 and when they're 6 and when they're 7. And it's great. Go to bed with them. Tell them a good night story. You know, in bed, sometimes you lay in bed with them and they're quiet and they're reading a book. But suddenly, after a half an hour, they start opening up and they tell you what happened in yeshiva and what this one said. And don't right away give solutions. Just listen. Internalize. Emote. Make them know that you understand them. Ask questions. Don't judge. My friends, seize every opportunity you can, but make it a kvias. Make it a kvias. Nighttime, bedtime, dinner. Ideally, every family should be having dinner every night together. It's very important. I don't mean a two-hour dinner like the you know, South Americans, halavai. But let it be a 15-minute dinner. But try to do it as much as you can. 
You sit around the table, and you know what? They learn to trust it. They learn that there's a father, there's a mother, there's conversation. Talk about your emotions, talk about your experiences. Tell them a personal story, tell them something interesting. And the more we can do it when they're young, the more there is this bond that's created as they get older. And I want to tell you something. There's a lot of challenges out there. A lot of addiction, a lot of depression, a lot of drugs, and a lot of suicide. And the greatest antidote to all of these tsaris is a good emotional relationship with your children. The Ebrist is a health and avaita. Yeah. So everybody knows, everybody knows the Mishnah, the, the sugi of these days, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Zman HaTshuva. Amar Ebakiva. Amar Ebakiva, Ashrechem, Ashrechem, Yisrael. Lifnei miyatem etarim, atem etarim, umim etareschem. And he finishes, the Pesach says, in Yirmiya, Mikveh Yisrael Hashem. Ma Mikveh metaires atmeim, Avakadosh Baruch metaires Yisrael. Everybody knows the niggin of Lag Boimer that really took off in Klal Yisrael. But the question that's been asked, and we spoke about it different times, different explanations. What's the grace of Chiddush of Rebbe Hashem is like a mikveh. Okay, say that. Hashem is like a mikveh. I mean, it says mikveh Yisrael Hashem, but you know that mikveh over there doesn't mean a mikveh. Mikveh there comes from the word tikveh, like kaveil Hashem. It's a different koyve Hashem. Mikveh Yisrael Hashem means the hope. The hope of Yisrael is the Rabbi Nishalayim. So Rabbi Kiva takes the word mikveh, and from mikveh, which is tikvah, hope, like it says in the Haftarah in Yirmiya, in Yechesel, Oidloi Avda Tikvaseinu, they say Avda Tikvaseinu in Yechesel about the Atzamas Ayyavesha. So he took mikveh and he turned it from hope into a mikveh, from the word mikveh Mayim. And he says, okay, Hashem is a mikveh. Just like a mikveh is metayret meim, Hashem, it's like answer pilpul. What do you need a pilpul? It's like Zerushavah, that Hashem is like a mikveh. So Hashem is metayret. What's wrong with a posik? It says in Parshas Achare Mois, Kibayim Azei Yechapar Aleichem, Letayret Eschem Ekelchat Eseichem, Lefnei Hashem Titaru. No, so you need a Zerushavah, Hashem is like a mikveh. A mikveh is metayret. Oh, Hashem is also like a mikveh. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of psukim in the whole Tanakh that Hashem is metayret Yidin. Comes in Bakiva and says, he's like a mikveh. The, so there's, there's, uh, different ideas have been said, but today I'm sharing one very simple idea. What's a mikveh? A mikveh is, I'm not tahir, I'm not pure, whether it's a man or a woman. I go to the mikveh, I go into the mikveh, I come out, and I become tahir. Okay. There's man habayis, a person touched a sheritz, he went to the mikveh. Yeah. Anida went to the mikveh till today. Azov, azov. You touch tumah. People, you went to the mikveh. You went, you went to the base of mikveh. You go to the mikveh. Koyin has to eat truma. He, he has to go to the mikveh if he was tummy. Yeah. Then there's Tfilas Ezra. People would go to the mikveh constantly. Yeah. By chesidim, by mekabalim, they're always going to the mikveh. Shabbos, sheni, chamishi, every day. That result. Mikveh, mikveh, mikveh. Go to the mikveh. I'm tummy. I go to the mikveh. I become tar. The next day, I touch the tumah again. I come back to the mikveh. Does the mikveh ever tell me, Rabbi? Why? Why? You were here yesterday. Vos comes to tzedek. You ever heard the mikveh tell that to anybody? No. You were here yesterday. And you came back today. Next day you come to the mikveh. What are you here? I don't understand. You came here yesterday. I gave, made you pure. I made you holy. Leave. Stay up here. No, I went to sleep. This happened. That happened. I touched this. I went through this. The mikveh says, look. I never heard a mikveh complain. The mikveh is not begrudging. No grudges. The mikveh doesn't harbor resentment. The mikveh is open. Often a mikveh, they say in Yiddish. The mikveh is open. You went today, you went yesterday, you could have gone an hour ago through. As long as you have a key to the mikveh, <laughs> as long as you have a key to the mikveh, the mikveh is always open, always welcoming, it always smiles, never has issues. You can come a hundred times a day, a hundred times a week, you can come a thousand times a year, I don't care. 
says the Bakiva, Mikveh Yisrael Hashem. The Rebbeinu Shlelem is like a mikveh. person thinks, I came to Hashem last year, I come back this year, and I'm, you were here last year, what are you going to nudge me? Before Zashir. A normal person, you came yesterday, you came two days ago, you came ten days ago. What are you coming back? Genukshon. No, I have to do tshuva again, I still have my issues. Leave me alone, I dealt with you already. You can't figure out your life, don't come back to me, go to a therapist. Comes up a kiva and says, maybe you have to go to a therapist. But mikveh Yisrael Hashem. The Yerboi Shalalim is a mikveh. Kens kumen, unkumen, unkumen. And I want to say, this mikveh is always hot. You don't have to wait for them to fill up the mikveh. You could come and come again and come again and come again. I don't get bored of you. I don't get disgusted with you. I don't get turned off from you. You were here an hour ago and you said, Slach lano avinu kichatano. And you're here an hour later and you say again, Slach lano avinu kichatano. I welcome every gesture. I welcome every hug. I welcome every moment of the relationship. I welcome every tenua of tshuva. I welcome every word, every thought, every action because I love you at your core and therefore never ever think that I'm so disappointed with you that at some point I'm like, get out of my life. Says Rebbe never. Hashem is a mikveh. And the mikveh is always open, available and waiting for you to make the turn to be toivel, tvila. Says the Mittler Rebbe is Oisius Habitl. The Rambam says, Tvila is Tvila b'mei hadar satoyer. Put your head under the water. Forget your past. Become a Naim Etzias. Kekotun Shanoila Dami. And I'm always here for you. So my dear friends, comes this time of the year, the worst mistake that people make is that they give up on themselves. They think they're too anxious, they're too traumatized, they're too sinful, they're too not interested, they're too apathetic. We all have apathy. We all have indifference. We all got skeletons. Trust me, we all got trauma. The only people that I know that are perfect are the people I don't know. But I always remember what the Psim Chibinim of Pshischa said. This is Yoko Mikal Yoko Yoko Mikal Yoko. He said, we finish Ne'il on Yom Kippur and we start Mairiv. How does Mairiv begin? Excuse a moi? I just finished Ne'ilah. I don't have any Avedis anymore. What is the Yechaper oven? Mela, later at night, you could say, Psaloshin Hara, Arachilis, Abitl Toira, Adis, Ayens. From the Ila, you went into Maidav. Nobody had a time to sin, especially in the Shuls, they rushed from the Ila to Maidav. So there's not even a juicy conversation between the Ila and Maidav. I just finished Nila. I screamed Shema Yisrael, Hashem Uelakim seven times, Lashon Nababir Shalayim. We blew Shoifa, we said Kaddish, and we went into Maidav. Where's the oven? Who sinned? And then you come to Shemun Esther that night, Mairiv, Yom Kippur, Mitzvah, Yom Kippur, and you say, Slach lanu avinu ki chatanu, chalanu malkeinu ki fashanu. Come on, where's the Aveda? So Reb Simcha binim said, open your hearts, listen to this. He said, you know what the Aveda of Mitzvah, Yom Kippur is? You know what Yechapir Oven is? The Aveda is that people don't believe that Hashem has forgiven them. That's the Aveda of Mitzvah, Yom Kippur. You don't have any sins, you're clean, but you don't believe it. 
The Aveda of Mitzrayim Kippur is, I don't believe that Hashem forgave me. I believe that I am damaged goods. I believe that I had too of a difficult childhood and I made too many mistakes in my life and I got too many issues. I could never have a good, happy, successful, awesome, meaningful, inspiring, uplifted life. I can't live in this world as an empowered Jew, as an ambassador of the Rebbeinah Shalom, an ambassador of love, light, hope, wisdom, healing, authenticity, truth, and redemption. Me, I'm damaged goods. Says, that you don't believe you were forgiven. He says, that you're clean, you're good, you're pure, you're wonderful. Why? Because your essence is divine, your essence is not dirty. Your externals are dirty. So you clean off the stains and you go back. Chuba means going back, returning to who you always were. Who were you always? You're a manifestation of Hashem in this world. I wish you all, my dear brothers and sisters, a year filled with brachev hatzlocha adbli dai, and a year in which all of us should be able to see psuris toivus, yeshuas, nechamas, betoiva, nerev, anigla, and the year of the ultimate kabetz nidachenu ma'arbakanfis ha'aretz, some soifers says, tovshin peyalef, me ashpois, ashpois, with the Gula Shlema Bimheira Biamenu Amen, a good kebench yar tayedin. Well it, it's morning, it's a lot it's Vasikin now in Eretz Yisrael. Listen, Ayid is in Eretz Yisrael always. So we made it's all is now Vasikin, so we have to already get ready for the morning. This class is brought to you by the Yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.